is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. delayed good mornings I've heard in a long time. My head's swimming this morning. I'm kind of taken by the idea of being a superhero. I, I, I want to bag the Mr. Incredible. I, I feel increasingly like a retired Mr. Incredible. And you can be my elastic girl. Oh. Oh. You're probably Jack-Jack, which is why we could never get a babysitter to stick. They're all good guys as well, aren't they, superheroes? They fight for truth and justice. I, I think there's, there's something in this analogy to push through. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about the power that is at work within us, the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work with us. And as every self-respecting superhero knows, with great power comes... Absolutely. And what a great responsibility we have. So we're looking at the series, Why?, which sounds like a series inspired by a certain age of child. I don't know if that's true. Why? I seem to remember entire conversations where that was the only word they could say. Why? Uh, so why? And, and Graham asked me to uh, look at the question, why this city? Uh, which is our Gotham, obviously. <laughs> and um, I thought what we'll do is we'll look at uh, a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Jeremiah chapter 29. And um, good choice. It was your suggestion, Graham. <laughs> it's not a question of great minds think alike. I'm just following orders. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, you can't just, um, you can't just drop into uh, a, a historical document that's two and a half thousand years old without some kind of context. That's not really possible, is it? So um, I need to apologize to you as well. You haven't heard me preach for like five years, and the last time was Jeremiah. I promise you, I know there are other books in the Bible. That's just a weird coincidence. Jeremiah chapter 29. So he's, uh, he lives at one of the most incredible periods uh, in the history of Israel. Uh, he lives at a time where God's judgments against the nation are being fulfilled. So they, they uh, escaped from Egypt, didn't they, under Moses. They covenanted with God uh, at Mount Sinai. And uh, in that covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people, there were blessings and curses. There were good things that would happen for the people of God if they worshipped him and followed him and lived life his way. And there were curses or consequences if they didn't. And the ultimate curse of breaking covenant with God was that they would be vomited out of the land. I think that's in Deuteronomy. I love that phrase. It's the same phrase that is used in the letter of the Spirit to the church of Laodicea uh, in Revelation. Um, if you read the NIV, you get quite a polite version. I will spit you out of my mouth. It is vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is the ultimate judgment of God against the people. And Jeremiah is saying, it's coming, it's coming. This judgment is coming. <clears throat> and Nebuchadnezzar is a, a rising power in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Uh, and he, he's come to Jerusalem and he has taken some of the leaders of the people. He's taken the king. He's taken some of the governors and the rulers. He's taken some of the priests and people like that. And then he's got a bit distracted somewhere else. And Jerusalem has been spared. 
So their leaders have been carried off into exile, but the rest of the people are still in the city. And there are false prophets around who are saying, don't worry about this. God won't let Jerusalem be destroyed. God is going to return us to the city. He's going to return us to our nation. He's going to step in. This can't go wrong. And Jeremiah is saying they're lying to you. This is not what is going to happen. The city is going to be destroyed. This judgment is coming. It's one of the reasons the Babylonians left him in Jerusalem. They thought he was pretty shocking for the morale of the people. And it would be a good idea to leave him there with his messages of judgment. So he wants to write to the people who have been taken into exile and tell them, don't listen to the false prophets. You're not coming home anytime soon. And this is his letter in chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the meta workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, okay, this is what Jeremiah says. Thank you. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens And eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. But thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Okay. So they're in enemy territory. They're captured. They're taken to a nation that is going to oppress them and mistreat them. And they're not coming home anytime soon. But they do have this future hope. So in many ways, we can draw some similarities with ourselves because we live with a future hope. We live with this hope that is sure and certain, an anchor to the soul. It's not a vague thing. It may or may not happen. I hope Liverpool win the league this year. It's not that kind of hope. It's definitely going to happen kind of hope. 
(laughs) I'm just being honest. It's a hope that Jesus is going to come, that the new earth and the new heaven will be formed, that there will be no more sadness or death or mourning or tears, that that is going to happen. We are looking forward to a day where the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness. They are looking forward to the day when they can return to Jerusalem and see God's kingdom established and his name honored among the nations again. But they live in a city in the here and now. It's an enemy city. They might hate the place. They might hate the people who took them there. They might hate the fact that their lives have been turned upside down and they don't understand what's going on and where is God in all of this. They might sit by the rivers and weep when they remember Zion. But they live in the here and now. And Jeremiah says to them, you've got to live in the here and now. Your welfare and the welfare of the city that you live in are linked. They are tied up. You can't avoid it. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We live in the here and now. Yeah, we have a glorious future hope. But right now, we are here in this city. Why this city? Good question. This is where we are. It's where God has brought us. And actually, the welfare of this city and our welfare are tied up together. They're linked. The welfare of the people that we love and care about and want to bring to know Jesus is tied up with the welfare of this city. It's a really simple, practical truth. It's amazing when you read the Bible how practical a God of miracles can be. Of course, we have another dimension to why this city, which is the gospel. Because when Jesus commissions the disciples to be witnesses, he says, start where you are. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If we want to reach nations with the message of Jesus, it starts here in this city. And actually, I think proclaiming the gospel and caring for people pretty much one and the same thing. In fact, when James is uh, writing to Christians who are scattered around the world at the time, this is where I wish I brought a bookmark with me, he links the two. He says, you can't talk to people about issues of faith and ignore their practical needs. I'm going to find it because it will be better if I read it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. When Jesus tells the parable about the day of judgment and and the end of time, when he separates people into sheep and goats, he talks about people who, when they saw him naked, clothed him. When they saw him hungry, they fed him. When they saw him thirsty, they gave him something to drink. When he was in prison, they visited him. When did that happen, Jesus? We never saw you in that situation. Every time you did that, for one of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Actually, the welfare of this city... And the care and love and compassion for the people who live here and proclaiming the gospel are one and the same thing. I I, I read 
Um, Canon Andrew White, this week he's not been well, has he, Andrew White? He's been in, in this country receiving some treatment. Um, he's said about the situation, he's the vicar of Baghdad, if you don't, Canon Andrew White, out, out in Baghdad leading a, a church um, that is uh, under increasing persecution in Iraq. He said, we're no longer free to proclaim the gospel, but we can demonstrate it. And he's working in health centers and clinics, providing practical need for people. So when we think about this city, there are some really practical things that we can think about. I want this city to thrive. I've got a lot of friends who can't find work. I would love them to have work. I think this is a great city with great companies. You know, we have companies like Rolls-Royce and Bombardier. We've got JCB down the road, Toyota. We can pray for those companies to do well. We can pray for the economy of this city. I want my friends to find work. It's in their interests. It's in my interests. It's practical, but let's not be afraid of saying, actually, that would be a good thing. That would be a good thing. I want to tell you one or two stories of where um, I touch base with the city. Now, this is always difficult. Um, Because I feel like I'm abusing the position of standing up and talking. But I don't often talk about um, what we do. But some of what what we do touches on needs in the city that I think, God, would you step in to this situation? So one of the things that we've seen recently, um, actually, let's start with Derby Church's night shelter, which I take it is happening again this year. It is going to happen again this year. That's an initiative that the churches put together um, last year when 85% of Derby City Council's budget for accommodation-based support was just taken out of the system. So for a little old company like Faith Open Enterprise, that was, that was a loss of about £24,000 a year of income. That's why places like Hartington House shut down. That's why the YMCA won't take people who have support needs. The money's not there in the system. Uh, When the churches decided to run a night shelter through the winter, I looked at the information that they put out. One of the things they said is, people will die as a consequence of these cuts. And you kind of think, that's dramatic. Are they overstating the case? I was sat with a guy this week, um, someone I know well. We were having a great conversation. He said, you know what, Kevin? This year so far, 10 people I know have died on the streets in Derby. We need to be involved in the welfare of the city. We can, we can make a choice. We can say, well, you know, people live with the consequences of drinking too much alcohol or using drugs. And that is true. Or we can say, they've made some bad choices. They really need Jesus. They really need some help and support. Let's get involved. I'm currently... Housing, we are currently housing, Faith Open Enterprise. We have three residents at the moment who live in our accommodation with nothing more than learning difficulties. Now, I never thought that we would start to get involved with people who have nothing more than learning difficulties because in the past we've kind of been specialized. Carl was really good at specializing with what Derby City Council called difficult-to-place people. But the withdrawal of support in accommodation has meant that people with learning difficulties no longer get enough support to maintain their own tenancy so they find themselves homeless or in the hostels where they are um, quite badly treated and abused in many instances by other residents. I had um, Milestone House ring me just over a year ago 
um, with a guy who um, had lived in his own accommodation for many years because he had a friendly neighbor. And the friendly neighbor used to go in and cook him a meal every now and then, make sure that his clothes were washed because he doesn't know how to use a washing machine. He can't read or write. Uh, So his neighbor would go in. Maybe you could be this good neighbor. And they used to go in and make sure that everything was okay. He lived in that accommodation for years. And then his neighbor moved away. And he couldn't cope. Uh, And he he was heading for the hostels. And they rang me and said, can you intervene? Can you take him before he arrives in the hostels? So uh, we housed him, found that he was on completely the wrong kind of benefit for his situation and regularly ran out of money. He was on Job Seekers Allowance, if you know how that works. You have to um, make effort to to look for jobs and go and sign on at a set time every two weeks. If you don't make your appointment, they stop your money. He can't read or write. He He can't manage that kind of thing. So he's constantly ending up without any money. So we got his benefits changed so that he's on the right kind of money. Found out what's going on. How can we help? What do you need? Referred him to social services. That's eight months ago we referred him to social services. Last week, week just gone, he was assigned a social worker. Eight months. Still haven't talked to her, but I know who she is. They are so stretched. I'm not making a political point. We need to pray for people who work in those areas. They are under such incredible pressure. We're working with a couple at the moment who have a young daughter. Some of you in our life group uh, know this couple because they've been to group socials. They're a lovely couple. They're a little girl in February. She's currently in voluntary foster care. But they are passing their parenting assessments with flying colors. Uh, I'll tell you how well they've done. Their history is um, very, very difficult. Both of them have extremely difficult histories. When she was pregnant and social services got involved, they did an assessment of their past. And their social worker sat with me and said, are you absolutely certain that this couple can look after a child? I said, yeah, I am. I am. She said, their history is dreadful. I said, I know. But I believe people can change. They did the reports on this couple. And their social worker told them, that someone in the office had said, I wouldn't let them look after a dog. Right now, their social worker wants their little girl to come home on a care plan. They're so confident in the change in this couple's life. But the little girl can't come home because their social worker works in one of four teams in her section at Derby City Council. Each team requires a manager. There is one manager among four teams. We need to pray. We need to get involved. We need to help people make a difference. We want the welfare of this city because it's in our interests and it's in our friends' interests. I really hope you don't hear that as political. I'm not making a political point. I'm just saying the welfare of this city impacts people's lives. If we care about them, if we love them, if we want to get involved with them, we're going to get involved with the city. We're going to make a difference. We have to. Now, where I touch the city is going to be different from where you touch the city. I, I know... There's a lot of people here involved in education. 
You must have stories of education. I see how many hours you work. Go for it, peace, knock them dead. I know how many hours you work. I see, I see some of the pressures and stresses, but I don't really touch it in the way that you do. But we want God in our schools, don't we? We want Christian teachers in our schools, leading our youngsters and our young people. We want to see the gospel freely spoken about in universities and colleges and in further education. I want to see God break through in the lives of people. My, my daughter, Hope, our eldest daughter, Hope, is at, is at uni now. She left a couple of weeks ago. First thing she told me, we had lunch with her yesterday. Oh, the smell of weed in the corridor, dads. <laughs> I gave her some advice on cannabis. Not how to use it. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see people set free from drug culture from that kind of thing. I want to see that in our city. You touch base somewhere where you can make a difference, where you can pray for the welfare of this city and you can get involved and you can help change people's lives. We need to ask how, though, because sometimes the, the thing feels so big, you just think there's just so much, I can't do anything meaningful. Um, someone once suggested to me that if you think you're too small to make a difference, you have never tried to get to sleep in a room with a mosquito. <laughs> I quite like that. How do we make a difference? How do we do it? What are the practicals? Okay, let's start. It starts here. This is where it starts. Three things I think we can all do and let's see where God takes us. One is, we can pray for other people. Actually, it's so easy, isn't it, to get caught up in our own lives and our own business and our own trials and suffering and joys and successes. We often forget to pray for other people. Now, I know there's one or two people here who have daily prayer lists, lists of names, and you faithfully pray through that list every day. I know I'm on one of them. I'm so grateful that you do that. I, I just, I'm full of admiration for you if you have a prayer list like that. If that's how you work, fantastic. I've got to tell you, I'm useless at that kind of thing. It just doesn't fit with me. So, I guess you have a choice when you think, oh, I could never be that kind of prayer of either therefore there's no point praying or I've got to find what works for me. Here's what works for me. Every time we sit down together as a family for a meal, we pray together. Not like a prayer meeting, hours and hours and starting with worship and everybody gets a go and the dinner's going cold. Not that kind of pray together, but we do pray together. Now, mainly we pray thankful prayers because I think cultivating a thankful heart is one of the most significant things you can do in your life. So we thank God for all kinds of things. You know, we thank God for our food and our family and our home. We thank God for whatever is going on. But one of the other things that we do is we pray for other people. Now, it can be really simple, but whoever is leading the prayer will pray for other people. So if I'm praying and I know that Mel has got a busy day ahead, I will pray for her. If one of the girls has got an exam at school, I will pray for her. If one of them has got a sporting event, I will pray for them. If they've got a concert, I'll pray for them. We pray for our friends. We remember that we have friends who are in difficult situations and we pray for them. We thank God for people who have blessed us. 
Sometimes I pray about the people I'm going to be working with that day. If I know that something is coming up that's important, if I'm in court with someone or I'm visiting someone in prison or we've got a medical appointment, I will pray about them. And the children will pray about them. And we get outward focus, and it helps. It starts something in your heart that this is not just me and my life, God. It's about people that you love and you want to reach and where you want to make a difference. And I'm part of that. And then I find that I'm driving to an appointment and I can pray about the appointment that I'm driving to. I can pray for the person. If they're meeting a probation officer, I'll pray about that. If we're going to see their GP, I'll pray about that. If they've got uh, difficulties with the job center, we'll pray about that. We'll pray about their, I will pray about their situation. This is what's coming out. I can make a difference here. You know what? The more you pray for people, the more your heart is opened towards them. The more God's love and grace and compassion can flow through you. And the first step is to say, I care enough to pray. And you know what, if we pray like that as individuals, if we are changing as individuals in our own time, and our own space, we are changing corporately and collectively as a church. Because that's how it works. And what you are praying about in your life, we start sharing in our life groups. There are people in my life group who know residents, pray for them by name. Thank you for doing that. I update you with situations now and then. You pray for those people. Thank you for doing that. Life groups are great for that. And that kind of heart can find expression on a Sunday morning. There aren't many things that the New Testament tells us we should publicly pray for. But leaders and kings and those in authority, governments, that's in the list. They should be included in our Sunday meetings because we're outward focused. We're looking at this city because God tells us, seek its welfare. Second thing I think you can start to do in really simple ways is to find places to serve. I think this is a great thing to do and it starts at home. So we have a fairly traditional setup at home. We're a fairly traditional kind of family, I guess. At that age, maybe. Had that model from our parents, maybe. I don't know. I'm lazy. That contributes. So we never sat down as a husband and wife and said, right, here's your list of duties and here's mine. But they kind of formulated over time. There are things that I am primarily responsible for in the running of our house, and there are things that Mel is primarily responsible for. And it's not like a law, and, I d- and we don't mark each other at the end of every week. I don't get a grade for how well I've done with the things I was responsible for doing. But it kind of works like that, and it works for us. And occasionally, and this is probably much rarer than I ought to admit, I will see something in the house that Mel would normally take care of and think, I could do that today. And it might be something really simple, but I think I could do that today. And sometimes she notices and sometimes she doesn't. And actually, that's not the point. The point is, I've blessed her and served her. 
And sometimes I will come home and Mel has done something that I think is, well, actually, I'm responsible for doing that. I will come home and the grass has been cut. Actually, no. Bless my, thank you so much. You've really blessed me by doing something that I would normally take responsibility for. And we've trained our children to do the same. When I was at school, I had this fascinating conversation with my English teacher, who I, I loved dearly, and he had three daughters um, as well. Uh, and we, it was a conversation about whether you should pay your children to do chores around the house. Now, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer to this, but he was absolutely appalled by the idea that parents paid their children to do, to do work around the house because his view was, look, you know, we all live in this house together, so you know, we're all involved in keeping it clean and tidy and, and doing various things. So uh, we've never kind of done that with our children. But you know, I've come downstairs first thing in the morning sometimes, and one of them has seen that the dishwasher's full and they've had a few minutes spare, and they've emptied the dishwasher. Sometimes when Mel is really stressed... They'll cook the meal that evening. That, that is definitely preferable to me cooking the meal, by the way. <laughs> I could tell you some stories about me trying to cook a meal, but I'd lose all credibility. <laughs> We've taught them, actually, you can serve in this family. You can serve one another. You can serve me. You can serve your mum. So when we come into a different context, they already have a heart that says, I want to serve. So where's my youngest right now? She's out in frog club. I don't crack a whip. I don't tell her she's got to do that. She loves serving. Okay, my daughter, Peace, on stage this morning, she's playing, playing there, bass guitar, not because she wants to be on stage, because she wants to serve. And then when Mel and I are really busy, and Alf, who lives nearby, who's shopping we do two or three times a week, one of the girls will say, I'll do that today. I'll do that. And you can just find little places where you can start to serve other people. Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus thinks. That's, that's what Paul says about him in Philippians 2 at that beginning of that amazing passage about how one day every knee is going to bow before him. It starts with Paul saying to that church, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form or nature of a servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served but to serve. If we can cultivate that heart in the house we live in or the block of flats that we live in or the street that we live in, in the church that we are part of, it will grow to serve the community that we live in and the city that God has called us to. It's unstoppable when you open your heart to that kind of work of the Spirit. It's the very nature of God to serve. So we can look at what needs to be done on the big scale and think, I can't touch that. Start here. Start with your parents. Start with your friends. Start with your children. Start with your life group. Get involved on Sundays. You'll be amazed where that journey will take you. The third thing I think is really helpful to try and do is build friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet. Because it's so easy, isn't it? Probably this 
I apologize for this for those of you who are much younger than me. It probably gets like this more as you get older. But eventually your circle of friends becomes Christians and people that you're in church with. And you have to work really hard to break out of that and to build meaningful relationships with people who don't know Jesus. It takes effort. When, when we first moved to Ashbourne and our daughters were small, Melod walked them to school in the morning and she'd meet all these other mothers and dads who were at the school gate and she had a big social circle. And then the children got to an age where they caught a bus to school and we figured if you're old enough to catch the bus, you're old enough to walk to the bus stop. So we stopped going out first thing in the morning and suddenly you find actually my contact with people is limited. Mel joined a choir. She likes singing. She loves singing. She joined a choir. I want to know people who don't know Jesus yet. I want to find out where their needs are. And I want to build them and love them and bless them and be part of their life. We can all take that opportunity, can't we? But I'm telling you, as you get older, I think this is true. I hadn't thought about this before this morning. But just looking at your faces, I think this must be true. As you get older, it gets harder. Because your social circles kind of diminish. And you tend to spend time around people you're comfortable with. But how can we reach people with the gospel? How can we demonstrate the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the righteousness and justice of God if we don't know them? I'm convinced that the biggest impact on people's lives is relationship. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that the biggest changes we see with the people that we house and and work with and mentor and try and get their lives back on track, the biggest changes we see are with the people who stay with us the longest, where there is genuine friendship, where there is the room to, to talk about difficult truths, where you've had those moments where you've overcome their blowouts and their mistakes and and the things they've got wrong and they have forgiven us for the things that we've got wrong and not handled well and you genuinely build something that's where we see the biggest change that's where the gospel has the greatest impact it's with people who know you who know you care who know that it's not just a question of wishing them well be warm and well fed but where you actually draw alongside them and make them a difference. Why this city? Why this city? Because this is where we are. And God calls us to pray for this city. And to demonstrate his love and his goodness with the people we know. It starts small. It starts by learning to pray for others. I think it starts by learning to serve others. We have to get to know people who are not saved to do it well. It starts in your own home. It's about your own heart. But where God can take you is to the ends of the earth and to every nation under heaven so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Jeremiah's words, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Well, we're citizens of heaven But we live in Derby and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Let's pray for this city. Let's do that now and then we'll close. Father, thank you.
that you have called us to Derby. Thank you for this city, Lord. Father, we want to reach this city with the gospel. We want to proclaim the good news of Jesus in our homes and the flats where we live, in our college halls, in our streets, in our workplaces, in the dole offices and the post offices where we spend time. Lord, we want to be able to speak about you and to demonstrate your goodness. Father, we pray for economic success in this city. We pray for managers and decision makers in companies like Rolls-Royce. Lord, we pray for social justice in Derby City Council. I pray you would have your way amongst managers and champions and directors of departments and in the lives of individual workers in the city council. God, that it would be a place that administers justice and righteousness for this city. Jesus, would you intervene? Would you find a place in the health service, Lord? Would you lead managers to make good decisions so that people can access the treatment they need as soon as they need it? Lord, we pray for those who work in these places. We say, God, would you give them confidence to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel? We know there are restrictions, Lord. We know that we are limited in what we can do and say, but God, help us find a way to demonstrate your love and to speak of your name in our schools and our colleges and in the university. Lord, we pray for your name to be honored and glorified. We pray that we might be a part of demonstrating your love and your passion for people. Lord God, be in our life groups. Stir us up to reach our communities with good news, to build friendships, Lord, that change people's lives. Be in the things that we are involved with as a church, Lord. Thank you for smile. Thank you for love, Derby. Thank you for what you do in people's lives. Lord, strengthen that work. Equip us to do it better, to reach more. Lord, to honor you in it all. God, we don't lose sight of our eternal hope and of our new kingdom. But Lord, you have called us to be your witnesses. Give us boldness and courage to do that well in the power of the Spirit with whom you have equipped us, Lord. We ask all this for the growing of your kingdom and the honor of your name. Amen. listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.